0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: We react and live our life from the outside in. Life's happening to me. Can't believe she did that. I can't believe they did this. And we love human beings and we all do it. I'm no better than anybody else. We love to blame and we love to be right. Now, that's actually nothing wrong with us that we like to blame and be right. They're not dirty things that we do. It's our brain processing it. It's our survival center. It's checking with all the experiences it's had before. And then we react accordingly to our views.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Not Perfect podcast. My name is Poppy Jamie, a recovering perfectionist and the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. Like the app, This show is about hitting pause and taking time to look after our mind and soul. In this series, I explore how we can make life better in 2020. How can we reduce stress, enjoy life, bounce back from setbacks and get in flow? My guests will be sharing their expert advice and I hope you join me on the journey. Our theme music is courtesy of Mindstream. Visit mindstream.com to learn more about how their music and environments help you sleep, relax focus and move, or find their music on any streaming platform. Let's crack on with the show. Hi everyone, I hope this finds you well. Last week you may have noticed I didn't post a podcast and it was a silence I wanted to have in honour of Black Lives Matter. I hope you spent some time reading and learning, I certainly have had many awakenings I just want to make a note to say that I vow to use my privilege in any way I can to help our society become anti-racist. Our mental health is so influenced by our environment and it's in the interest of every human to strive forward creating an equal society where everyone feels universally appreciated, accepted and celebrated. It's gonna raise all our happiness levels. Emotions are contagious let's help spread the good ones. So on to this week's interview, I want to introduce my wonderful guest who has significantly helped me on my mental health journey. She is a mindset and performance coach, author and thought leader, Polly Bateman. In today's episode, we're talking about how we can let go of the past. I recorded it a few weeks ago, but God, is it relevant for this week? And I'm not sure about you, but the past is something that can be so tricky. I can get lost in those kind of past loops where you're kind of circulating those thoughts of I shoulda, woulda, coulda, if only I had said this. And we can't change the past. It's gone. So, why is it so hard to let go and how can we? And these are all the things that we explore in this episode. So, I hope you enjoy today's chat and let me know what you think. Polly, what is your favourite quote at the moment?
1: Let me find it for you because I should have had this ready, but I really love this quote. Uh, here we go. If you are willing to look at another person's behaviour towards you, as a reflection of the state of their relationship with themselves rather than a state about your value as a person, then you will, over a period of time, cease to react at all. Sets you free, that one, right?
0: (laughs) Wow, you really dropped a nugget there.
1: Yeah, it's such a beautiful quote. It's written by a guy called Yogi Bhajan. I hope I'm saying that right. It's a beautiful quote because Whenever anybody is talking to you or, or snapping or being the way they're being, you know, I've often thought and my husband's a really great guy, I often use him as an example, so just to say this as a caveat up front but if he's snapping or having a bad day, it wouldn't matter who he was married to. That's the way mm. he behaves when he's snapping or having a bad day, full stop. Mm. But we often attach other people's reactions to the value of us as a human being. We often make it mean something about ourselves. And that's the way the world occurs to us. Right. So in that moment, we then take on feelings of shame or we diminish ourselves or we we think uh, maybe other more (laughs) fiery thoughts. (laughs) Who knows? But, you know, the point being is we often attach it to the value of ourselves in some way.
0: Gosh, that quote would save us a lot of kind of hurt feelings and upset mm. and there's kind of like lingering sensations that just make you feel uncomfortable. And you're so right. Like, thank you for starting this interview by setting us all free in the first two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's to come, guys. I'm very excited about Polly being on this podcast. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently? Aha.
1: This is a great one. And it kind of sounds counterintuitive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Slow down to speed up is a really good one because there's a great story about a fly trying to get through the window and about the fly's strategy and how the fly's strategy is try harder, try harder. But actually, if the fly just stopped, turned around, did a 180, there's usually an open door. There's usually some space to freedom, but we are so fixed on our strategies at times. We just keep doing more of the same. And it's that brilliant Albert Einstein quote, straight back into another quote, right? That, uh, you know, if you keep on doing the same thing, but expecting a different result.
0: Definition of insanity. Totes. (laughs) How do you define happiness?
1: I think a lot of people look for happiness externally. I think they scratch around as if it's something you could go out and get. I think we intellectually know it isn't. But we still go out looking for it. We go through different stages in our life as well. And I think this is why there's no one answer to happiness. Um, What makes you happy when you're five is not going to make you happy when you're 25.
0: Right.
1: And I think that, therefore, we look as if there is one answer for it. But actually, at different stages in our lives, different things appeal to us. Mm. So what makes you happy, you know, when you're a babe in arms is being fed. <laughs> usually yeah. you know or having um all your basic needs taken care of what i know is that between the age of 2 and 10 years old all we really want to do is have a decent relationship it's all about relationships for us then and if you look at 2 to 10 year olds they're all playing you know everything they do is a form of of relationship building and then from about 10 years old onwards to 30 ish And I say ish, you know, it's different for different people and the the different experiences they've gone through will have them evolve more quickly or or not. It's about self-esteem. So it genuinely makes a younger person happy to get the cool car or the cool sunshades, you know, to buy the clothes that they were hanging out for. There's nothing wrong with this stuff either. It's just different forms of happiness. And then as we get older, we move into something that's more grounded, I think. You know, and I, I know that if you look at grandparents, for example, what makes them happy is the contribution that they can be to their family. It doesn't mean they don't still love a nice G and T on the side, but you know <laughs> <laughs> it comes in different forms and we we scratch around looking for it like it's something we can go to the shop and put in our trolley and buy. And it isn't, you know, it's knowing who we are and how we evolve, knowing what makes us tick. Um, and I think it comes from a sense of fulfilment. And as I said, that fulfilment changes. It can be as it can be, you know, at different stages in our life come from different places.
0: You know, you're the first person that has brought that point up, which is kind of the definition of happiness often changes. And, you know, we're now going to the 30th episode and, you know, I've had these beautiful responses, but I feel like that to me actually has spoken So profoundly, because I haven't focused on how much our definition of happiness changes as we go through life. And, and it brings me right on really to the focus of this interview, because, and I speak from a personal standpoint, and also after I've spoken to a lot of people as well about this, but releasing the past Is one Mm. of the hardest things ever. And I would love to know, like, why do you think we find it so hard to let go of the past, let go of our definition of happiness, like 20 years ago, or just in general? Like, how, why is it so hard?
1: Okay. So, the way I have it is this that your brain is your watchtower, the brain is all about survival. It's the most incredible muscle and it stores experiences that we have as we grow up but your brain is also limited in its capacity as we're growing up compared to what it will be when you are older and it's a fully functioning muscle so as a result when it stores an experience it stores it with the capacity it has in the moment which will be much more black and white and stark compared to the complexities that we have as our brain fully develops so if I give you an example that you can have an experience at school in the playground where Somebody says, oh, look at your shoes. They're so, I don't Oh, How would you got shoes like that? You know, and we kids are quite <laughs> quite good at like they're geese, really. They peck each other into shape all the time. And if you look at it like that, then you've got a situation where a child will either vociferously defend themselves and say, I love my shoes. Get over it, man, because they've got that kind of personality. But more often than not, they will have a sense of not fitting in. They'll have a sense of maybe shame attached to it what that does is it goes in as a stored experience into our brain that our brain says oh that made me feel really uncomfortable let's protect ourselves from that again in the future and that's when we try to fit in that's when we try to buy all the right stuff and and we we conform because we are naturally built to survive and like I said the brain is all about surviving what I think changes is when we learn that it's just an experience that we wrote a story about you know we wrote a story in the moment with the capacity that we had in the day so we don't have to go back and drag all our childhood up but we do have to kind of get like hang on a minute how come poppy you and I could both go somewhere today stand in front of a statue a play a painting a piece of writing and we both have different opinions about it what how because we were kind of born as blank slates yeah we've got our genetic imprints but what Flicks things on and flicks things off. It's because we're the sum of our experiences. So just recognizing there's a root somewhere, and maybe going back when we have an unhelpful reaction. You know, we can have experiences that we will get more attached to stuff and looking good. If we have felt ashamed as a child, for example, about the fact that we didn't have all the cool gear. You know, I my mother loved. To put us into the most gormless shoes I'd ever seen in my life, they were Clark's round toe, really gormless sandals. And all the girls at school had little kitten heels and little pointy shoes that I thought looked so cool. But my mother was like, no, 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 it's terrible for your toes. Your toes must grow properly. And she was absolutely right. I get it. I felt awful. I used to, there was a girl that actually gave me a pair of shoes and I used to hide them in the hedge on the way to school. And I would change out of my wide-toed Clark sandals and pop on the cool shoes that, she, that were her car stops on my way. And, you know, I remember being caught by my mum, but it was I was just desperate to fit in. Yeah. So what has any of us get up and do our hair, our makeup? You know, what, this massive explosion of influencers that we have in the world is because people want to fit in because they're driven by a need to conform. They want to stay in the tribe because it's dangerous being out of the tribe. There are three basic things in life, and they are the only triggers you will ever experience. And anyone who listens to this, just take the last time you were irritated by somebody and think it back through to see which one of these lies at the root cause. And it will be one of, am I safe? Am I loved? Am I enough? Wow. It's just one of those, you know, the, the, the husband and wife at the dishwasher. Don't put it in there like that. Oh, for God's sake, you're always telling me off about the dishwasher. And boom, off they go. <laughs> but the reason we're never arguing about what we're arguing about. We're defending some deeper need to be enough.
0: Mm. And if
1: we're enough, we're loved. And if we're loved, we're safe.
0: So let's say we develop that awareness. We understand like in every reaction, when we're super reactive, it's actually coming from that like small child within being like, I'm not loved, I'm not enough. Like how do we break though or unlearn those patterns? How do we stop reacting from those base needs and remind ourselves that we're not the eight-year-old that got rejected in the playground, but we are, you know, ourselves in this current day? Uh,
1: It's a great question and it takes practice. When I'm coaching people, I often say, you know, you can go on a yoga retreat having never done yoga before. And you can go for three weeks and come back more supple than you ever knew yourself to be. But you're not a yogi. And so you can learn something about yourself. And when we do learn something, there's there's a brilliant sort of shift in our whole awareness because... It's like when people are looking for their their sunshades or their glasses and they're on the head. (laughs) The minute the angst that you had when you were looking and the frustration disappears the minute you find them. Um, When we see something, we can't unlearn it. You can't unknow something about yourself. So that's that's the first step in this, I think, in in getting the root and starting to see what might have had you be like that. And often we need help. We often can't perform at our best. I always look at it in the way. You might look at athletics. An athlete wouldn't dream of trying to work out their best performance on their own. They might have natural skill and talent and strength and agility and whatever they need to have the core ingredients, but to really perform at their best, they need external help. So I think it's understanding that there's reaching out for coaching and therapy and and various different forms. You know, people still have that stigma. And actually, why? It's like if I said to you right now, what's your nose? how's your nose feeling today? <laughs> if you suddenly start thinking about your nose, we, uh, I think it's okay, but we can't yeah. see right? <laughs> and that's why we go and get brand experts. You know, when suddenly you're in the public eye and people start telling you, do you know that you did this funny little thing with your nose or your hair? And, you know, we didn't know this stuff about ourselves. That's a an external, conscious, obvious way of looking at it. But, I think that then it's learning to get into a place like seek the help, you know, get the realization, seek the help and and don't be ashamed about needing help it's It's what girlfriends have been doing for each other for years, mm. really, you know, and actually chaps do this the same, you know down in the pub having a beer with each other they they'll they'll have another way of doing it, but we are all talking a lot more now, which is amazing, and we need to, and it's brilliant that there's a much greater awareness about understanding how we function. But I would say then the key to real success in all of that comes to catching it, you know, catching that, oh, in this scenario right now, I kind of want to react and I want to go back to my old behavior. I'm really conscious there's two languages we learn. There's the language that we speak, that we are consciously taught. And then there's a the subconscious language, which is taught to us by all the patterns of behavior. And that creates thoughts and thoughts create feelings. And it's recognizing that some of it is unseen. It's, it's the other side of the iceberg that we can't see.
0: What other skills do you think help to work on to then help with this kind of breaking of patterns with this personal development? Is it, for example, is it discipline or is it being OK with being uncomfortable? Like, What are, what are the things that you, you see people work on that help them have success in this type of work?
1: So I think talking openly, you know, that we are out in conversations now. There's been this brilliant step changes I've seen really in the last two to three years as well, where people are talking about stuff that never used to be talked about. It was, you know, even um, I was on a course recently with this woman who was saying, so I'm a business coach and I basically do business coaching and I connect it to your sex life. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I was like
1: Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> It was I was so thrown when she said it, but so tickled as well. And she said, No, I really, I really believe if we're having better orgasms, we're doing better in business. And I'm just like, I love you. This is so cool. We don't talk, I mean women traditionally haven't talked about anything from the waist down for a long time. Oh, you know, we're starting my. to talk about stuff now. So it works in every sense. Like Shame is something we need to talk about. Money is something that we need to talk about. You know, sex is something that we need to talk about. There's nothing wrong with us being human. And yet we have, we've almost felt dirty about certain aspects of our own humanness from our mental health to our physical bodies. It's nuts. And, I mean, there's even a program, isn't there, called – I I don't watch it, but I know of it. Is it called Embarrassing Bodies or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that – I mean, and I get it. It's, it's, you know, it's meant to be ironic and, like, show that there's nothing embarrassing about this. It happens for everybody. But – you know, we do set ourselves up to feel awkward about stuff just by the very language that we've got, which we have spoken for so long. And we're having to retrain ourselves to, there's another, there's a woman out there at the moment who does, um, she talks about too muchness, how as a woman, she's been told uh, to be, you know, be a good girl, be quiet, be polite, be nice, be pretty. And that, you know, her being her was too
0: much. Right. And it's interesting because, um, at the moment, I've been looking quite a lot into this, this, how conditioned we are. And I think that's kind of like really what we've been so suffocated by our own conditioning. This, like these cultural conversations, for example, like don't talk about sex, like, oh gosh, like, and everyone being a bit embarrassed about it. What have, how do you feel you were most conditioned? And what kind of how have you broken away from the conditioning that you potentially have had? And what liberation has that given you?
1: Uh, I think we're all a product of our environment. So it would be a lot of us will jump straight to our family. And some of us have had more challenging family circumstances than others. Um, But I think it comes in many forms. I think even if you've had a, you know, really secure family or Um, even if it's been dysfunctional in in, in what we would regard as dysfunctional, it can still be very secure and loving. You're still, it doesn't matter really that you're still a product of your environment, but the environment is not just from from the family. It's also from the school. It's also from the culture that you live in. You know, I'm very conscious that one of the things I do with my clients when I first start working with them is I say, by the way, when I challenge you on something, I want you to understand there's no right and wrong. And I don't just mean in this world here. I mean, there actually is no right and wrong. Right and wrong was made up by human beings. We need it to an extent to be able to rub along successfully. Like you drive on that side and I'll drive on this (laughs) side. Then we won't crash. Is that okay? You know, I get it. And it works. But in another country, they thought they'd go the other side. (laughs) Who's right? There's no right and wrong. It's just what we made up to rub along with each other. The problem is, is that we've used right and wrong in cultures and society to control each other. And actually, the person that that really taught me this um, also showed me that it's actually, it comes back down to what works and what doesn't work. And we use this all the time in my home now, because I was like, oh, I get it. You know, when when I say to my son um let's say he breaks something or he takes something apart he's a real fiddler he loves to take stuff apart it used to drive me insane and I've got used to it now he'd get a new scooter took it apart wanted to see how the wheels worked and I'm like yeah it really doesn't work for me to spend money on a scooter and you take it apart because now it's unusable because he couldn't get it back together again you know because he was little <laughs> and but if I I wasn't like that originally I was crossed with him I was cross because in my head, it was wrong that he'd done that. Mm. I bought you something. You took it apart. That's wrong. And from that place, I would feel annoyed. Now I come from it doesn't work. So A, I get a lot less annoyed. And B, he doesn't try to defend it because I'm not making him wrong. He just says, but mummy, what I really wanted to do was understand the way the wheels were so that I can fix them if they get a bit gritty. And, and then I can do this and I can tighten it up for performance and I can make that happen. So... You know, we naturally crush each other into what we think is right and wrong, and I I stop myself now and say, well, hang on, what's actually wrong about it? There is no wrong; it's just made up in language by humans to rub along with each other.
0: Oh, I mean, hella I mean Polly, hallelujah! Like this morning, I'm like, wow, yeah, these are points that are just resonating with every cell in my body. Yeah. So, in terms of like. Kind of going back to this idea of the past, and the this there's one thing that really like you gave me this massive kind of aha moment a few weeks ago, and it's about us being stuck to past narratives. Mm. So, um, you know, because I think a lot of us are actually, um, we're either stuck in kind of victim mentality, Mm -hmm. and I would love you to talk about that a bit because um, it's, you know, I've definitely been in a situations where I'm like, yeah, and they did this to me and they did this to me and they did this to me. And, um and you know, you don't want to let it go because you're kind of still angry, but you know, it's not good to be angry and you want to release it, but you're still like, and, there's, and then you're almost kind of like proud for getting through, like maybe people <laughs> being hard to you and you're like, but I got through it. And so you're kind of proud of that survivor in you. But at the same time, uh, as my friend very kindly pointed out, like you. You don't need to tell everyone that narrative as the first thing. But um, so I'd really just love your thoughts on that. Like, how do we let go of these past narratives? And why do we get stuck in these kind of victim mentalities?
1: Mm. Oh, okay, big chewy question. So we write stories about what happened. And as I said, the brain is the survival watchtower. And the brain will store it as an experience to um, avoid. or or, or work towards depending on how it viewed it we are the sum of our experiences they will form you as you are and yet at the same time you can choose how you want to view something now where we lose the choice is when we get fixed that something should or shouldn't have happened And then we think that that's how it has to be, and that will be because of our programming. Back to that old, you know, friend, that we think we know how the world should be. I have to slow myself down enough sometimes to think that, you know, what I don't know why people are being the way they are when they're not being the most pleasant people in the world. You know, I I often say to people, if you're walking down the road, and on one pavement taking up the space is somebody stood there and they're throwing their arms out and they're spitting and screaming and kicking would you walk past them and be shocked if you got punched or would you cross over give them the space or would you judge them and most of most often people would cross over but they'd certainly have like oh god look what's going on over there it's so <laughs> disgusting oh <laughs> mind that one you know we we have and then there are other people that might move over and say are you okay and stuff like that but What I really want to bring it back to is that when you learn that you've written stories and you view the world the way you do because of you are the sum of your experiences, you can therefore start to understand that perhaps you've done things in the past that haven't always occurred as the most obvious thing. I heard this great line once, I don't know where from, it just came up in conversation, and the person said, nobody ever did anything that doesn't make perfect sense to themselves. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you know, even we have those moments, we ourselves go, I don't know why I did that. (laughs) But in the moment, it was like the obvious thing to do. And sometimes that's because we're driven by a deeper need or fear or something like that. But we react and live our life Mm. from the outside in. Mm. Life's happening to me. Can't believe she did that. I can't believe they did this. And we love human beings and we all do it. I'm no better than anybody else. We love to blame and we love Mm -hmm. to be right. Mm -hmm. Now, that's actually nothing wrong with us that we like to blame and be right. They're not dirty things that we do. That's just us trying to make sense of the day. It's our brain processing it. It's our survival center. It's my watchtower. It's checking with all the experiences it's had before and actually, there's a really scary fact about the brain. It doesn't really care between anything imagined and anything real. It'll go with the one it likes the best. <laughs> is No. I mean, how often have we said, why do you think he keeps going out with girls like that? What do you think it is? And then they'll, we'll pontificate, we'll decide why it is, and we've gossiped till the cows come home. We've decided what it is. We're right. We have no idea. We don't know what drives somebody. <laughs> But we it's love so
0: true. Yeah, it
1: is, isn't it? It's crazy. So we take what's happening. We decide what we think that's all about. And then we react accordingly to our views. And we <laughs> don't live. We don't really live as who we really are. We live by kind of standards and ideals. We don't live from principles and who we really are as a human. You know, how many times have we seen it in films? You know, you see that the, uh, the two main characters are mad at each other and then one of them keels over and the other one goes running over and goes, oh, I love you, don't leave me. Because how you really feel comes out in the moment. Critique.
0: So you have these 12 lifelines. Yeah. Which I can't wait to dive in further. But you begin with, we are at the root of everything in our life. And I know you've kind of touched upon this, but I'd really love for you to kind of explain what you mean
1: Oh, do you know what? The moment I realised I was in the driving seat, and I didn't even know there was a car, let alone that I had hold of the steering wheel, was a really bittersweet moment. Perhaps a bit of self-disclosure will help here. So, I've been a coach since two thousand and six. I met my husband, who's military, because I was in that environment. I I was a coach. I'm a pretty good coach. I looked like this, and I sounded like this. And I got to twenty sixteen, and Tom went away on a tour for a whole year um, to the Middle East. And our only son went off to boarding school. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I didn't know the person on my left or my right because I'd just moved in. In fact, the one on my right had made it distinctly clear they, they were introverts, and that was absolutely fine. I, I got it. We had a fence that adjoined our gardens, but that was it, you know, we're on a military patch. And I walked the dog every day and went shopping infrequently. And this went on for a year. Now, I did see my son, obviously, and I I, we positioned me relatively close to the school so that I could see him as often as possible. But I was broken that year. And nobody ever is broken. But I I went into breakdown because my life, I I just, all my purpose had gone. Mm. And in that moment, I recognised that I hadn't gone deep enough in working out, you know, what was going on in my life. And I took on Finding out why do I do what I do, think what I think, and feel the way I feel the way I said you and I could stand in front of something and both have a different opinion. I pulled growth to me, self-development, self-awareness, like I it, it, like like my life depended on it because you know what it did I was. I remember about nine months in, I've got two great girlfriends, Joe and Kate, and we were having our sort of uh, dinner that we often met, well, I say often, maybe once every couple of months, we'd meet up and have this dinner. And I said, I think I'm a little bit depressed. I don't need to go to the doctors or anything, but I'm a little bit depressed, I think. And I was like diminishing it. I don't need the doctor. I don't need drugs or anything. I just, you know, and my friend, Joe, who's a psychiatrist, looked at me and she went, oh, darling, I'm, I'm without doubt that you are depressed. You know, I, I didn't, I wasn't being fed and nurtured by my environment. Mm. I didn't have quality time with the person that I loved mm. and not well, both my husband and my son. Mm. I was lonely. And then in the middle of it, all the dog got cancer and died and the cat disappeared. And you know, oh, and you're no. like, "What? Oh, yeah. no more enough. And even yeah. actually, and my mother-in-law was close by, she died as well, and everything, my whole world just came tumbling in at that point. And sometimes you have to hit rock bottom to be able to make the changes. So the backstory is to tell you that I then went on this journey. And what I got was back coming back to the what I was saying about Sydney, I got that I owned my mindset. I got that I chose the thoughts that I was having. I got I was the sum of my experience. And suddenly I realized I was driving the car and I was like, oh shit. I did this to me. I'd recreated my childhood of moving all the time. I had put myself in a place. So without going into all the backstory, which I'm, I'm really open to, but for the sake of time in this particular mm. session, I had grown up not knowing my father. And my stepfather had been a very abusive chap and he had his own pain. I have no anger towards him whatsoever, but he he was quite violent at home. And I had written a story that if my daddy had loved me, he would have come and got me. And that was my reality. I was unlovable because by default, I never consciously went, I must be unlovable. But I thought I was unlovable and unworthy. And here I am, 2016, I'm completely alone. And I'm actually finding another way to express I'm unlovable and I'm unworthy Mm. and I haven't got any stability. And when I got that, that that is a secret driver in my life, It was a, you know, it was a bittersweet moment. It was like, oh, no, I did this. You know, Mm. I created the circumstances that fitted with my view of myself. The one thing I have learned is your external world is a reflection of your internal world. Wow. And when you get that, when you start to see it, I take my clients on a journey where they see this, where they learn things about themselves and go, oh, that's why I like that, you know. And even right down to the fact that I kind of married my mother, which sounds really weird. (laughs) But I did, you know, Um, and actually my husband loved to recreate me as his dad. He loved to poke me. I would then explode and say, what the you know, and go off about things. And that's what his father used to do. And so we'd recreated situations that we were kind of looking for. You're, You're always looking to complete on things in your life that didn't make sense to you at the time. So you're kind of trying to understand them. So, you know, we've all seen those people that keep recreating the same scenarios that hurt them again and again and again. They're actually trying to deal with something. They're trying to learn something. The minute it becomes conscious, you're in the driving seat. And let me tell you, I have curbed it. I have dinted the wing. I've gone down the wrong wrong road (laughs) a couple of times. Now I get that I'm driving it. I just back up and get back where I was and take a different route. But because I own my life, And I own my identity. I
0: run the day, they don't. Wow, that is like so powerful. And I think a lot of people are going to take a lot away from that um, because what you've just done so brilliantly then is plant some serious seeds for us to go away and go, oh dear, oh God, I think I've recreated this and this and this. But to your point in this interview, like, Like the the power to change all of this, and what I mean, honestly, the results Polly has with her clients. This is why I'm so excited to get on the podcast. Is you know, and I know a lot. I mean, they're just different people. So, um, your work, Polly, is just incredibly powerful. Um, before we move into finish the sentence round, how can people best get in contact with you and like learn your way of coaching, or what is the best way to um to be in contact with you and work with you. So I have I have my website. Um, it's called the <laughs> I had to put
1: that in. There's another lady that has polybateman.com and she doesn't even use it. Bless her. I've reached out to her and she said when I'm when I'm ready to like, give it up, you can have it. So yeah, the is my website. Please do reach out. People don't have to be my clients for us to have a conversation and for, you know, I'm constantly evolving in how I can contribute to people at the moment, and particularly in this environment, I recognise that there's more than one way to serve people. I've got to the point in my life where I want to contribute, and I've got to the point in my life also where I realise that what I love to do is empower and free people. And so, you know... Maybe we do more of this, you know, maybe I have to have online kind of Zoom calls with people, you know, and there's more than one there. Maybe there's going to be some group set up. I don't know, I'm just open to anything being created. But if people, I had a concern, actually, just a moment thought when you said, oh, there's so many seeds here. Don't be alone with those seeds, actually, because sometimes people can then, don't get into a a spiral of self-blame either, because that's not helpful. You know, one of the things that I ask people to do in whenever I work with them is have empathy for you have mm. empathy because you don't the decisions you've made that have been unhelpful for yourself or the stories that you've written were based on the capacity you had in the moment like be kind you got here right you're here you're doing great yeah it's just maybe you've got some unhelpful patterning going on but we can do something about that so yeah. like don't be mean to you I have been super mean to me in the past uh, and now I am really kind, you know, for for any of those of you out there that maybe did have a difficult childhood, get a picture of you as a little person and love that person. I thought I was ugly growing up. I look at that picture now and I'm like, oh, God, she was so cute, <laughs> you know, and if she needs yeah. to pick you up and hugging, I'll pick her up and hug her. And it does yeah. happen sometimes, even today. Sometimes I'm like, you're OK. I've got you. I've got you, you know, yeah. because you'll never stop being human. You'll never stop feeling, and I wouldn't want to.
0: You can't know one extreme if you don't know the other. So um, thank you so much for that. And to finish, uh, if you wouldn't mind um, completing the sentence, that would be great. Okay. The best piece of advice I've been given is?
1: Well, I think it goes back down to slow down, to speed up. And it was annoying because I didn't really understand it when I first heard it. (laughs) But let me put it a slightly different way. If you've got... A bucket of muddy water, which is what life can be like when things are in a muddle. This is a great coach. He's a guy called Michael Neal, and I heard him say this. And he said, He says to people, What do you do with a bucket of muddy water? And he giggles because they're like, Boil it, boil it. You know, he's like, How do you find out what's in there? Sift it, it. <laughs> and people come out with all these suggestions. What do you do with muddy water to find out what's in there? You know, you've got to tell me exactly. And everybody wants to agitate it in some way, right? All you have to do is leave it alone. And what do you find? Clarity. Sometimes do nothing can be the best thing to do. And never make a big decision when it's all, you know,
0: muddy water. Just leave it alone. The book I recommend the most is?
1: So this is not his best book, okay? Uh, It's a book by Mitch Albram called The Five People You Meet in Heaven. I found it a little challenging to read to start with. But what I loved about it was that one of the people he met was was someone he didn't know. And that when they had been on on Earth alive, she had impacted him on one particular day. And it's kind of like, I don't want to spoil the book in any way, but basically it's like you and me were walking down the street and you banged into my shoulder. And I was going dead straight down the pavement. And in banging into me, I'm for, I kind of turn and I see something in the shop window. I'd brush off, say what I say about you banging into me, look in the shop window and go, oh, I really wanted some of those. i go in and I meet the person I'm going to marry. The point being in the book was that she played a part in his life that was a pivotal moment and she actually died right after that instance with him. <gasps> God, yeah 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 yeah. I know right this was the part this was the impact the book had on me in that now if I'm in a hurry and Miss Daisy is driving in front of me you know when you're like oh my god will you get out of the way yeah. I think to myself "Ah, oh, no sorry you've got your part in my life so that book is a fun book to read to take what you want to take from it
0: my guilty pleasure is
1: they're called a skinny bitch it's a vodka and um I didn't know they were called skinny bitches for years either I just kind of had my special vodka so it's vodka sparkling water with a whole line squeezed into it and you can shove a bit of mint in there as well but yeah a skinny bitch
0: (laughs) (laughs) sounds delicious and lastly if you really knew me you would know
1: how much I love you before I even know you
0: Polly thank you so much this is such a beautiful just so much to take away from and think about and and your honesty and and just like it just everything thank you it's just it's been brilliant
1: thank you for having me it's been a real joy to be here thank you very much
0: that's it for today thank you for listening of course it would be amazing and very appreciated if you wouldn't mind hitting subscribe and sharing this podcast you can find me at poppy jamie on instagram dm me questions or any guest suggestions i'd love to hear from you and also if you have a moment, download happy not perfect it's my mindfulness app that helps you manage stress anxiety sleep and ultimately makes you feel happier every single day in less than five minutes. See you next time. Sending you lots of love and energy. Till then.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,